0: I want to speak to you this morning about the commitment to love one another. Uh, John 15 verse 12 tells us that Jesus commanded his disciples to love each other as I have commanded you, as I have loved you, sorry. And the church's um, handbook, the welcome book, is all about uh, sharing our vision and values for today in our church, sharing with each other loving God, being committed to him, but also loving each other as our form of commitment. And I want you to know that loving each other is what Jesus has asked us to do. It is not about liking each other because sometimes there are people that we don't necessarily like their habits, their ways, their personalities, but the Lord has asked us to love each other, which is very, very different. Way back in the Old Testament, the very first command about loving each other was found in Leviticus, um, 19 verse 18. These words, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, Emmanuel read that this morning from Luke, but it was actually way back in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, how you are we to understand this concept? How do we put it into practice? Who is our neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is yours? Is there a bit of echo, Jeff? Is it okay? So, let's look at what the Bible teaches about this. And in Luke 10, 27, Jesus told that expert in the law that he should love God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. So the very first person we should be loving to be able to do this, loving our neighbor, is to love God wholeheartedly. very first person we should love. Now in Exodus 20, we read about the the Ten Commandments that were given to the Israelites so that they would live holy and pure lives. And the very first command to love God was in Deuteronomy 6, verse five. Again, the same word, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. The word love here in the Hebrew is Ahavah. It's used 250 times in the Bible. It means absolute devotion and loyalty to God. And that's what God wants and expects for us. Because when the Israelites got, loved God with that absolute loyalty and devotion, then they didn't find it hard to love each other and to love their neighbor. One came and followed after the other. They didn't find it hard to keep his commandments either. So that was much, much easier to do when you love God wholeheartedly. But it does mean when we love God wholeheartedly that we have to submit all of our lives to him we submit our jobs our marriages our families our hopes our aspirations our desires to god there is to be nothing or no one greater than god in our lives if we sing about jesus as we've done this morning be lord of our lives then he needs to be lord of our life lord of absolutely everything now matthew 22 because the story of an expert in the law coming to Jesus to trap him. And he said, teacher, what is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? That was verse 36. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. You think they will be getting the picture by now. But Jesus re-exercised this scriptural command that was given so long ago, but then he made a surprising statement in the next verse. Because he said the next, a second commandment is equally important love your neighbor as yourself. Notice the priority that Jesus gives, not only to the first part, love God with everything you have, but love your neighbor as yourself. And that's because the second commandment automatically flows out of obeying the first commandment to love God, it's a, a natural progression. And Jesus goes on to explain the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Have you ever thought the laws in our land are based on the Ten Commandments? If we love God with all our hearts, it wouldn't be difficult for for us to keep those Ten Commandments. So we wouldn't want to hurt people. We wouldn't want to wrong them. We wouldn't want to break those commandments, would we, if we love God wholeheartedly? But we know that this attitude is not reflected in the world because it's an egocentric world, it's a selfish world, it's a world where man puts his needs first before anybody else's. So what do we see? We see greed and selfishness, corruption, we see genocide, we see war, we see marital breakup, we see divorce, we see unhappy families, fractured relationships, we see all of that because man puts his needs first above his neighbors and he doesn't love God with all his heart. But we are told to love God wholeheartedly. It's the first step in being able to love ourselves and our neighbor as ourselves. So the question is, who is our neighbor? Who does God expect us to love in the same way that we love ourselves? So I would say this morning, it's loving your family faithfully. This is your natural family. You know, we're giving lots of uh, clues in the Bible about how to love each other, particularly within the family. So husbands are told to love their wives just as Jesus loves the church, Ephesians 5, 25. I'm not gonna talk about marriage this morning, I can do that another time, but that's a really important word there because the word love here is the Greek word agape. It's the highest form of love you can get. It's the love that Jesus showed to us when he died on the cross. It's unconditional love. And he said, Husband, you also to love your wives in just the same way that I loved you. And if you expand Ephesians 5, 28 to 33, I think we've got it up on the screen. Um, this agape love shows the sort of love a husband needs to have for his wife. So he's got to love her sacrificially. He's got to put her needs before his own. He's got to love her as much as he loves himself and loves his own body. He's got to care for it exactly the same way that he loves and cares for his own body. He's told to to show that same unconditional love. The love of Jesus draws you and me to him, doesn't it? The love of a husband draws the love out of his wife because that's a Christ-like love. He's to be the Christ-like head of his home, the loving leader in his home. Now, we could think that's a tall order, but when we love God with all our hearts and we obey his word, that is much easier to obey and do. You know, Paul and I married in 71, and we took vows. We didn't know those vows were going to be tested, but we took vows for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Over 51 years nearly, I think it's 51 years, we have had those vows tested, without a doubt. Those promises that we made to each other have been tested. And we have not failed, because our first priority has been to love God with all our hearts. And as we've loved God with all our hearts, He has looked after our marriage and we've had mutual love for each other and we've kept those promises. When unconditional agape love is uh, modelled by a husband to his wife, the children see it. The children grow up in that home and they then model that in their lives. It becomes a selfless exercise that they learn to discipline and do. Agape love benefits both husband and wife. And so secondly, wives are asked to submit to your husbands As to the Lord, Ephesians 5.22, that's not about subjection. It's not about being downtrodden or doing as your lordly husband tells you. No, It's about respecting his God-given leadership in the home because Ephesians 5.33 says the wife must respect her husband. When a husband loves his wife with a Christ-like love, she has no difficulty in loving him in return and respecting his headship, respecting his Christ-like leadership. Because women who experience agape love from their husband actually will joyfully care for their husbands and be that helpmate that Adam and Eve talked about. Eve was designed to be a helpmate to Adam. She chooses to put her husband's welfare and interest before her her own, her own needs and she feels safe and secure in that love. So that's an amazing part of this agape love. Thirdly, there's another aspect to this family love. What about children? There's another command that's given to children, Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Now, these words echo the same words that were given in Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Because honoring a parent here means respecting their God-given role in our lives, we recognize it. And I believe this honoring of parents should take place and be shown continually, no matter how old we grow and no matter how old our parents grow. If you still have parents living today, you older people. Learn to honor and respect them because they have given, been given this role by God.
1: And an example of this
0: is Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. Remember the pain and the agony he was in? But as he hung on the cross in John 19, it tells us that he spoke to his mother and he says, woman, mother, behold your son. And he points to John, the disciple. He entrusts the care of his mother to disciple John. And to John, he says, behold your mother, here is your mother. At that moment, Jesus was willing Uh, to put her well-being first before his own. He thought about her needs rather than the fact that he was dying on the cross in such pain and agony. What a wonderful example of unconditional love there. You know, raising children can be very hard. We know that today, especially as they become defiant when they get older and they don't want to embrace the teaching that we might have given to them. And sometimes we as parents are going to make mistakes. I know I've made lots of mistakes in my life. Uh, And even in bringing other children, because it's a learning curve. But our main responsibility as Christian parents is to bring up our children, to love God, to love our neighbour as ourselves, to know the word of God, to teach them. We need to teach them to put God first, to honour others, and to value the fellowship of this house. We should be bringing our children to this house. This is really important. That's a way of honouring each other and honouring God. It's important that our children see how we have relationships with our own parents and our siblings and the family. Are we able to deal with past issues, hurts that maybe have been in our lives? Are we able to show a forgiveness spirit? We need to teach our families how to forgive each other. We really need to do that and to honour and love members of our family. Sometimes the dynamics and issues of family life, even the wider family, can cause difficulties because we're dealing with past hurts sometimes. We all have to face these things.
1: It might involve a relationship
0: with our grandparents or our cousins or even our siblings. I know of siblings who do not get on who have not spoken to each other for years. But if you think about Joseph in the Old Testament, he was ill-treated by his brothers, sold into slavery through jealousy. Yet what happens during the famine when they were all reunited, he forgave them willingly he loved them with agape, unconditional love. He put the well-being of his family and the future of the family before his own thoughts. Family splits from years ago have the power to impact present-day relationships. It can lead to ongoing tensions with resentment and bitterness. That is just endless sometimes. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning experiencing a similar situation. You know there's a rift in your family. It could be in the wider family, but if you need prayer for that, if you need to seek forgiveness or offer forgiveness or give that healing, see that healing take place, well, we can pray for you today. We have to be willing to overcome things in our own natural families so that we can demonstrate the love of God and His grace and forgiveness. Because the natural product of loving God wholeheartedly, and I repeat myself, is that we will desire to bless our families and to love them and to honour them. Who else is our neighbour besides our immediate family? So who else should we be committed to loving as much as we love God and love ourselves? Well, it is to love the church family here, practically. We are to love our Christian brothers and sisters in this family, in this house. Before the Passover, Jesus spoke these significant words to his disciples at the last Supper. This is what he said in John 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He was going to be tortured. He was going to be put on the cross. He was about to demonstrate his absolute love, the depth of his love for his disciples and for all of those in the world and for us today. He'd been teaching and showing his disciples every day of his life the depth of his love for people. But he knew that his death on the cross would cause his disciples to fear, to separate and to scatter. And he knew that he had to teach them to love each other because they were going to need each other once he was gone and his command was that they were to de- demonstrate this very same agape love to each other just as he had demonstrated it and at that time it's very well documented in literature that the greek word would have been used eros not agape eros is that heady human love with overwhelming um, power and force behind it it's seen as a romantic love today. And our modern culture still pursues this by the romantic films that we see on the television and in the theater. However, Jesus doesn't use the eros there. He uses agape. It's the highest form of love which can ever be experienced. It's a sacrificial love that means I will give my life for you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Eros is motivated by personal desire and the need for reciprocation of that same love but not so with agape. Agape is motivated by the choice that we make to love other people unconditionally. Whether that love is returned to us or not, we still love with that same love. It's demonstrated by the free and voluntary choice that you and I make to love another person intentionally. Now, just before this uh, taken place with Jesus and him telling the disciples to do this, to love each other, James and John had requested something. They said, can we be seated at either side of you when you go to heaven? Can we be seated on thrones next to you, Lord? And this is mentioned in Mark 10. And they were motivated by the pursuit of selfishness, self-aggrandizement. It was all about their own spiritual pride, ambition, their status before other men. When the disciples heard about this, they were very indignant. They didn't like this at all. And so Jesus had to Explain to them about having a humble heart, a servant heart, and he goes on to demonstrate it, because he takes a towel, and he takes a bowl of water, and he begins to wash his disciples feet. Now, this was not the role of a guest in the house, this was the role of the lowest servant, but that's what Jesus did. When we sacrificially live our lives and love other people, it is very humbling, It involves putting the needs of other people before our own needs. And it's all about other people, less about me. It's less about me all the time. I, myself, me becomes less important. It's about other people, it's about putting them first and showing the love of Christ.
1: Ephesians 5.21 instructs us
0: to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we need to be honoring other Christians in this house and other Christians that we know are part of the body of Christ and to love them as we love ourselves. Now, Jesus told his disciples, if you love each other like I love you, the whole world will know about it. They'll know you're my disciples. And I'd like to ask that question, how would agape love prove to the world around us that we are Jesus' disciples? How do we show it? And I think this is the way it would happen. The world would see there was a new spirit of love and grace and humility in the lives of disciples. They would be able to see that they were putting other people before themselves.
1: The non-believers would see
0: that disciples were always willing to lay down their lives to someone else. They're putting others' interests before their own. Non-believers would recognize that the love they demonstrated towards each other was a sacrificial love. It wasn't a love that was seen in their world. But the world that we live in is a world where most people are out to get themselves. They want everything for themselves. They want their own interests met and their own needs provided. But we should be exemplifying the same love that Jesus had. So the world knows we belong to Jesus. How can we do this in the church? Exhibit a servant heart with each other. Exhibit a Christ-like spirit in all our family relationships within the church. Forgive one another readily when situations occur. That's really hard at times but we have to learn to forgive. Pray for each other regularly. Bless others by your sincere prayers. Pray each day that God will bless this person, that person in the fellowship. Amen. Make a conscious decision to put other people's interests before your own needs. Learn to meet the practical needs of other people in crisis. Show a genuine love for those who are in need. Practical needs in the church. Be willing to share what you have with each other. Leslie's really talked about sharing our flowers today with with others, and that's really good to do. But you know, I can remember when I was small, my mother had very little. Our family was um, deserted by my father. We had very little money at the time, but she was always giving it away. She taught us, give it away, and God will just bless you. We'd come home from Sunday church uh, with a meal cooked for three or four of us, and she would have invited four people. And you'd have to expand it to another few mouths, but it always stretched that far. Learn to extend hospitality to people without showing favoritism and without wanting anything back. Because James 2 talks about church members showing the same love and favor to those who are poor as they would to those who are rich. Remember that your faith without actions backing it up is not genuine or real. Loving each other with kind deeds is a demonstration that our faith is alive. James 2.17 says, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. So encourage one another. Every time we meet, encourage each other with scripture verses, with prayers, with prophetic words that will bless and inspire and uplift other people and cause them to grow. So we're to love our natural families, just as Jesus them. So we're to love the church family, Whom else should we regard as our neighbor? And I believe the final way we demonstrate loving our neighbor is to love the non believer unreservedly. That could be very hard to do now. Emmanuel read in Luke 10 all about this religious expert asking, How do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? And he quoted Deuteronomy 6 5 about loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so he asked Jesus the question, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus told this story of the Jew that was traveling from Jerusalem to um, Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. He was left for dead, very blooded and sore and in pain. And who should come along but a priest? And he walks by on the other side, this was a Jew. Then a Levite, a temple assistant, came by and he walked by when he saw the man, again a Jew. Then a Samaritan, who's not a Jew, He's an enemy of the Jew. He comes by and he sees that man in all his pain and agony. And he bends down and he cares for him, and he tends him, tends his wounds. And he bandages him out and puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn. And he says to the innkeeper, would you look after him and gives him money. And he says, I'll call again. If you've spent any more money, then I will give it to you. And Jesus says to this um, expert, who is the neighbor here? And he said, it's the Samaritan. The very person who was not a Jew was extending kindness and love and compassion to his mortal enemy. They didn't even consider doing it, those two other men. And Jesus was pointing out, this was the neighbor. In fact, he showed mercy, go and do the same. And as Christians, we are to show mercy, love and compassion to people who are in need. Whether we like them or not, whether we think they're worthy of it or not, Whether we would regard them as our spiritual enemies, we are intended to show love and compassion. There was no reservation in Mr. Marist's heart. He just showed that love, and it's appropriate for us to help other people, whether we think it's right or not, because Jesus will put them in our pathway, and he wants us to to show them such love so that they will find him a saviour. Jesus loves everyone with the same perfect, agape love, doesn't he? We find that hard to understand, you know, because we're human, we're imperfect, but that's the command we've been given. God's heart is that we're to love our neighbor, whoever that person may be, as much as we love ourselves. So in conclusion, I know that recently we've heard a lot about the war in Ukraine, and I've been so blessed to hear that nations and people within those nations, particularly Poland, have opened up their homes to bless these refugees, to bless them, these all won't, won't all be Christian people doing this. These A lot of these will be non-believers. And if non-believers can open up their homes and extend kindness and goodness, how much more should we do the same? Because in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, Jesus teaches the people that when he returns in glory, he is going to be separating out the nations before him, sheep, like, sheep and goats, the story is. And as he separates them out, he will decide these are the believers and those are the non-believers. And he commends his true followers because they had demonstrated agape love by doing these things, feeding the hungry, giving the thirsty water to drink, clothing the naked, naked, caring for the sick, housing the homeless, and visiting people who were in prison. And Jesus went on to explain, I tell you the truth, whatever you did to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So the whole world in effect is our brother and sister when they're in need, because we need to show them the love of Christ. And God wants our lives to overflow with his great love and his mercy for other people. It's our total love and devotion to God that will empower us to love other people just like that, to love our neighbors in the same way. We're all created in his His image, aren't we? We're all the same in God's side. He loves them equally, so, so we must do too. Loving each other, just as we love ourselves and as much as we love the Lord, we'll lead them to Jesus Christ. So finally, let's seek to make an impact on this world that we live in, on the neighborhood here, by loving God wholeheartedly, by the way we faithfully love our immediate family members, by the practical ways in which we love each other in this God, in God's house here, and by the way we only love, love people who don't as yet know Jesus and need to find his saviour. Because loving them as God loves us will open the doors to their finding this new spiritual life in Jesus. It will open their spiritual life. So let's be committed to loving each other as we should. Amen. Amen.